Hello, it's Paula Lupi and Chloe Tenbrink. And we're back after the holidays with a new episode for you. This time, we will be covering the slogan, Reuse, Recycle, Resist. A little recap on what this podcast is. We take a slogan from the climate marches and then we look a little deeper into its themes and the facts behind it. We chose the slogan, Reuse, Recycle, Resist, because Christmas has just passed, a time notoriously known for consumerism. You buy your loved one presents and it's a way to show your appreciation and festive cheer. But in many ways, it's a tradition that has gone one step too far. Most people receive multiple presents, some maybe they don't even need or even want. An ugly sweater from a distant cousin or a book that you might never read from your uncle. I mean, yeah, I'm no better. I love getting gifts for people and I genuinely enjoy picking out things for my friends and family. But tell me, Paula, could it be done in a different way? <laughs> What's frightening is not that you receive presents or that people want to offer them, but that big companies and interior retailers take advantage of it too. And it makes sense. A professor of marketing at the University of Birmingham says that estimates say somewhere between 20% and 40% of annual turnover of retailers and big shop is done over this period of really just a couple of months. It is in companies' interest to sell, 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 while people are in the holiday spirit. Um, there's a very interesting article by the online uh, The Conversation website entitled How the Santa Lie Helps Teach Children How to Be Good Little Consumers, uh, which was written by two lecturers of childhood studies from the University of Bangor. I really recommend the read. Um, here I am directly quoting from the article, um, Christmas, now a billion dollar industry where Santa is actually the white bearded, red hatted, jovial face of toy manufacturers and the like, a representative for corporations and corporate greed. Santa is a long way from his original outing as St. Nicholas who, as the story goes, gave his money away to people in need. They talk of a Santa lie, the myth surrounding this figure who supposedly brings so much holiday cheer. They attribute it to the need of creating holiday magic. Again, go read the article. It's an interesting read, but I'll just leave it with one of the concluding points they make that... And here I quote, far from protecting children, the Santa lie facilitates insidious and harmful activities for children, consumerism, trust in strangers, and the belief that being naughty and nice are mutually exclusive. All of these are interesting points, but we will be focusing on consumerism. Are we really taught at a young age to buy, buy and buy? Okay, yeah. Let's approach this topic, but first off, what is consumerism? According to Cambridge Dictionary, it is the state of an advanced industrial society in which a lot of goods are bought and sold. Who would argue that we do not live in a consumerist society? For instance, once I was on a train that was going to arrive in LH at 2am. It was dark outside the windows of my train, and I literally couldn't see anything. If Lear wasn't the last stop, I would have been scared that I was not going to recognize it. I was wrong. As I approached LH, the train station, one clear, bright sign was at the horizon, welcoming me home. Primark, from the docks. Ha, ah, what a sight. <laughs> it's a funny story, but it's undeniable that shops like Primark are not part of our urban landscape, in Europe, but not only. The concept of cheap clothing, constantly accessible, and always new and fashionable, change our lifestyle forever and makes it harder for us to resist consumerism. In the midst of my procrastination, I started watching Patriot Act, what is it better than a 30 minutes break with humor and politics for our political sciences students? Interesting enough, in one of the episodes, uh, the topic tackled was fast fashion and consumerism, which gave me a lot of input and better understanding of how this industry works. 
I strongly recommend you watching the episode. But nonetheless, here are the facts, with a bit less humor. <laughs> the main reason why consumerism has grown so much and why everyone talks about it is mostly influenced by processes such as fast fashion. Basically, the idea that now companies can sell for very cheap and constantly renew their products. If you go on high couture brand websites, it is easy to find links to autumn, winter and spring, summer collections, basically two main collections that are released every year. Fast fashion brands, on the other hand, do not work with the same time pace. Fast fashion brands produce approximately 52 micro seasons a year, truly in line with how unreliable actual seasons are becoming <laughs> due to climate change. But you see how problematic it is. If so many new collections are made almost every week, and for so little money, people will buy a new dress, t-shirt, or sweater every week. So does it surprise you that the average person buys 60% more items of clothing and keeps them for about half as long as 15 years ago? Personally, it doesn't shock me. In Naples, I know, I know people who buy a different dress for every party they attend, dresses they're only going to be worn once. The problem of affordability was not even raised. If you look at some prices, it is not hard to understand why. Rather, a new dress was a matter of status. I cannot help but think that social media are having a huge impact in making it harder for teens to resist consumerism. Let's not even go on the topic of social media-directed advertising just because we do not have the time to address the harsh reality of data controlling and the such. Uh, but just think about the constant posting of in on Instagram. Everyone is wearing a new shirt, jacket or dress, always showing the newest, best part of themselves. It is really not easy to avoid that trap. Fast fashion companies are not the only thing that are making so hard for us to resist consumerism. Another big factor that has been taken into account in recent years has been the rise of online shopping. Giants like Amazon have virtually everything and can send them right to your home any day at all times. Do you want something? Just press a button and you'll have it. Hard to resist, right? <laughs> Because of this brilliant way to exploit the consumer industry, Jeff Bezos makes the annual salary of his lowest paid employee every 11.5 seconds, as it has been reported by some magazines. This is because there is an estimated 1.8 billion people purchasing goods online, 62% of which shop online at least monthly, showing the incredible revenue that companies like Amazon are able to make. What we often forget is that all these concepts and realities are new. People did not used to buy this much before the rise of fast fashion and online shopping. Modern technologies revolutionized the way we buy, but so did companies in their successful attempt to increase revenue. It feels like a great deal. Dresses for 10 euros, toys shipped from the US that arrive, in, that arrive in time for Christmas Day, new technologies fundamentally adapting to the fast-paced society we have today. But what is the price? Older generations say we lose quality because of these new phenomenons. They are right, yet ignoring the much higher cost to pay, the human and environmental cost. According to ILO, 11% of children in the world cannot go to school due to work interference, many of which are related to the fashion industry. A recent report from the Center of Research on Multinational Corporations even describes the work conditions of young girls in Southern India who work with spinning mills as comparable to modern day slavery. These abuses are mostly made possible by the huge supply chain of the fashion industry. To lower prices and have faster production are often unable to check on the work conditions of all steps of production, or even willingly ignore it. The environmental cost of consumerism is just as appalling, because more than anything, it means incredible amounts of waste. 
According to the UN, the world population produces more than 2.12 billion tons of waste every year. The United States alone generates 230 million tons of waste, of which only one quarter is recycled. Fast fashion adds to this waste problem by resulting in 10,000 items of clothing being sent to landfill every five minutes. Oh my god. Uh, in total, up to 85% of textiles go into landfills each year. That's enough to fill the Sydney Harbour annually. Fast fashion also means the exploitation of the world's resources as the second la- largest consumer of water and the second largest polluter by filling the ocean with microplastics. The production, chemical waste, material sourcing, distribution, and the speed at which all the products are dumped means that consumerism is contributing enormously to the destruction of our planet in ways that are hard to fully connect and grasp together. So notation that are far too easily offered to us. Reuse. Recycle. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back to the slogan. Reuse, recycle, resist. It's a variation of reuse, recycle, reduce that we've all heard so many times. I know I grew up hearing it. Uh, It's a catchy alliteration that taught me how to go about the world. I believed and somewhat still do that recycling is essential. It just unfortunately isn't quite what most of us thought. Recycling is a bit of a neat solution for our problems. We are throwing away our stuff, admittedly consciously, and someone else will take care of it. The minute the trash cans is in the rubbish van, it is both <laughs> out of sight and out of mind. Well, to hear how ineffective our recycling can be as an environmentalist was honestly like discovering Santa wasn't real. Who recycles? And how does one recycle? Well, yeah, that's the big that's the big problem. There is no one standardized system. I wish. Each country has their own, and even within one country, there are multiple systems. Let's take France, where we are currently studying. According to Wilshie's Waste and Recycling Limited, who have an interesting interactive map of recycling per country, by the way, which you can find in our resources, France has a current average of about 25% plastic being recycled, which is slightly lower than the European average of 30%. And France has aimed to has declared to aim for a 100% plastic recycling by 2025. And, I mean, we can just hope that will happen. One big issue with French recycling is that it isn't standardized nationwide, and there are variations between regions that cause confusion, especially when people move. I mean, Paris doesn't recycle in the same way that Le Havre does. You might be listening and thinking, how do we recycle here in Le Havre? If you live in your own or in a coloc, I really hope that you know. But it wouldn't be surprising if a course student didn't know. When I arrived at my residence on the first day, I was absolutely shocked to learn that the residence building did not recycle. The explanation they gave me? They found that students were so poor at recycling that they deemed it useless to have recycling at all. I was so shocked. I had grown up recycling and in places other than home, I mean school for example, I remember the colourful posters above the bins explaining recycling. I mean, if people didn't know in the first place, the information was clearly and carefully explained. How could that function in a primary school and not in a university residence? How is this a solution to stop recycling rather than to educate? Especially since Leav has, uh, since the 1st of September, adopted an ambitious public policy of zero trash, with aims such as cutting waste by 50% by 2025 and to recycle at least 55 
percent of non-dangerous material by 2020 and 65 percent by 2025. By the way, all this information is available on the on the mayor website, on the website for Le Havre. So, what we want to do is explain kind of how to recycle in Le Havre as a course student or anyone really, which is a bit of a tangent, but hopefully a useful one. First things first, Le Havre has public recycling spots for glass and paper. There is one next to the library of the local University du Havre and one in front of the Lavigne residence. There are many more, just have a Google. So one easy step is to have a couple of bins in your crucible apartment. You can, use, uh, you can just reuse a paper bag, for example, and collect untarnished paper and all your glass bottle. An important note is not to throw your plastic bags or bottle tops into these as well. They aren't recyclable. When you have enough, take a trip to the recycling point and you have already managed two useful categories for recycling, paper and glass. Note that this is color-coded. Green refers to pots and glass bottles, without lids and as clean as possible. Yellow refers to paper, cartons, yes, even milk cartons and the like, plastic bottles and pots, and finally metal containers or cans. Grey is for everything else, food waste and other household waste. Luar actually has an app for waste recycling with an explanation on what can and cannot be recycled when trash gets picked up and other infos, and it's called uh, Tri Pratique with a K. You can find it on the official website of Luar again. So that was a very practical look at recycling. Now the bigger picture. Some countries are slightly dysfunctional, like France, but some are pretty good at recycling. The current number one is Germany, with an average of 56% recycling of waste, though the measures vary, uh, and so the title of number one does as well. I'm sure that you've heard how Sweden is so effective in recycling, they now import other countries' trash to recycle. About 2.3 million tons of waste was imported from UK, Norway, Ireland, and some other countries to Sweden in 2016. Sharing trash makes a worldwide scale of recycling go around. Sweden is not the only country to receive other nations' trash. Large receptors are also found in Asia. China, for example, used to be a large importer of trash, but they implemented a policy in January 2018 called Na China's National Sword Policy, which banned plastics and other materials from coming into their country. In a single year, China cut its plastic imports down by 99%. This was enacted to protect China and the linked living and work standards for recycling, which, at the rate that they were doing it, was having environmental effects on China's soil. This policy had drastic effects on other countries. Australia found itself having an additional 1.3 million ton piles of trash it had to deal with independently. The USA struggled to manage their waste given that about 70% of their recyclable trash used to be sent to China. And at the level of the Federated States or at a city level, there were many different attempts to keep up with the pace of waste and recycling. Minneapolis decided to get selective and stop recycling black plastic, which is notoriously hard to recycle. Philadelphia ended up sending half of its recyclable materials to the incinerator instead of actually recycling it. None of these are effective. The hope with the national sport policy is that it would incentivize each country to improve their recycling system. However, the global recycling industry like most industries, is played on problematic disparities between developed and developing economies. As the Ocean's campaign director for Greenpeace USA, John Hosevan, said, and here I quote, instead of taking responsibility for their own waste, US companies are exploiting developing countries that lack the regulation to protect themselves. 
As we see, China nationals' work policy actually diverged the trash towards Southeast Asian countries, such as Thailand and Malaysia, most of whom were not equipped or ready for such large amounts. Nearly half of plastic waste was exported from the US to Thailand, Malaysia, and Vietnam in six months following the introduction of the Chinese policy. As you'll probably have heard, countries such as Indonesia that received large foreign imports of trash started sending them back to their original countries, primarily in the West, such as the UK, when the trash was unrecyclable. In 2019, approximately 547 containers of trash were sent back to the West, all of which were improperly recycled, containing hazardous materials or plastics. These countries want to avoid becoming a dumping ground for hazardous waste, and rightly so. This brings up a very important point. Not everything can be recycled, and often we, confused at the multitude of varying information that we are told about recycling, make mistakes that contaminate the whole batch of trash. Unfortunately, currently about a quarter of everything consumers throw into recycling actually can't be recycled. This figure is from National Geographic, but there are many estimates for it to be a larger percentage that doesn't get recycled, and it varies from country to country and with its different systems. Here's a list of common recycling mistakes compiled from the internet. Bottle tops often can't be recycled. If the product is, cov uh, is covered in food, it can be recycled, such as pizza boxes contaminated with grease or a can of tomato soup that you didn't properly clean out. Simple solution is to rinse any packaging that you're throwing out, which also reduces any smell for your collecting garbage. Wrapping paper cannot be recycled. A lot of paper goes through this process that make it plasticky or shiny or get glitter added or certain harmful pigments, all plastic or hazardous materials that cannot be recycled. This can seem ridiculously disheartening. I know it is to me. So let's focus on what you can do. Um, one thing you can do when shopping is to think ahead to the recycling process. This is sort of like a gentle version of a zero-waste lifestyle, and it is, that is because it is easier to recycle some things than others. Here is a rule of thumb. Plastic is the hardest to recycle, and please avoid plastic as much as possible. Glass is a good recyclable. It is basically 100% recyclable without losing quality or purity. Which is one of the main issues of plastic recycling, as plastic does not hold as well and often needs to be mixed with new pallets of plastics to make new recycled plastics. Glass is made of sand, limestone and soda ash, and all of those things primarily sand, which is a renewable and natural resource. So, recycle your glass. It is quasi-infinitely recyclable, with no loss in quality, whereas if it isn't recycled, glass takes one million years to decompose. Aluminium and other materials are also good recyclable items. They too are infinitely recyclable and easily recycled at that. It is a process which requires less energy than glass recycling. In fact, it takes less energy to recycle aluminium cans than to produce them. Plastic, on the other hand, is harder to recycle. Firstly, there are many types of plastic, uh, which the general public doesn't usually know nor take into consideration. There are six main types. Yeah, I'm going to kind of run through them. This might be very boring, but anyways, there is PS, polystyrene, which can be found in, you know, foam hot drink cups, plastic cutlery, containers and yogurts, often like very thin plastic. There is PP, polypropylene, which are found in takeout food containers, ice cream containers and the like. So the plasticky sort of, yeah. Uh, there is LDPE, low, densi low density polyethylene, which is the plastic that is used to make garbage bins and bags. 
There's uh, PVC, plastic, plasticide polyvinyl chlorides, uh, which are, you know, in typically in juice bottles or other plastic bottles. HDPE, high-density polyethylene, which often is found in shampoo containers or milk bottles, so now a bit thicker plastic. PET, which are found in, again, soft drink bottles. Of these six type of plastics, which are commonly used in packaging, um, only PET, HDPE and PVC are recycled in the common recycling programs. With the variety of types of plastic, as well as the variety in colour, etc., sorting and recycling can be such a tough process. Even then, it is not 100% purely recycled, and moreover, it does not maintain its quality nor purity. Um, it has to be mixed with new pellets of plastic to make a recycled plastic bottles. Not ideal. So the next time you're food shopping and you get the choice between a plastic container of olives or a glass jar or an aluminium can, pick the latter. A good concluding point is that Rob Kaplan of Circulate Capital told National Geographic, and here I quote, There's no silver bullet to stop plastic pollution. We're not going to be able to recycle our way out of the problem, and we're not going to be able to reduce our way out of the problem. So what's left? Reuse and resist.